Hey, Bill, is your, is your mic on? Your mic. I thought, oh, I'm sorry. Welcome, everybody. We're glad you're all here. <laughs> I will start all over. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Lighthouse. Welcome to all of you who are online. When Bill learns how to turn on a microphone, it would be a good thing. So I'm glad you're all here, and for once again, those of you hiding in the back inside the house here, I do know your names. It's not going to stop me from calling on you, just saying, I just want you to know. How you doing back there? You guys okay? Is everything good? Yeah, okay. So we're going to start the study in the book of Revelation. Probably the most uh, controversial, talked about, discussed, feared, um, different, lots of adjectives to discuss uh, how Christians let alone non-Christians, think of this book. When in reality, it was a book from a very concerned pastor to his flock that was across the, the, the waters in the mainland, he was trying to encourage them. And so we're going to talk a lot about um, the intent of this letter because that's basically what this is. This is a letter of trying to get people to understand to stay strong in the midst of government officials of much persecution. They were trying to fight just discouragement because if you were known as a Christian, your businesses didn't flourish. You, they had lots of prejudices against them. So what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to set a couple of ground rules, just so you know. I know that inside here in the building, we have people gathering in small groups. And if your parts of your small group are here, Please feel free to be together because at the end of tonight, you're going to have a chance to have your own small group time and prayer as we close up and you'll be able to have that together too as, a, as your own small group. Also, um, for those of you online and for everybody, if you are not in a small group and as our pastor always says, that is the best of what Lighthouse has to offer, please understand you'll see some signs that say welcome on them. If you're not part of any of the the groups that have their names on their placards and you want to ask them about what nights they meet, what time they get together, that kind of thing, please feel free to do that with the names that are on there, like Randy Strait, Randy's over there, Randy's here. Um, who else is a life greeter? Uh, Mark and, and Robin are up in the booth right now making sure we're all taken care of. We have several other life group leaders that are here. And I, it's hard for me to see in the lights, so I'm going to try so if you're not in one, please get to one. Now, during the night, there will be uh, points where you can ask questions. If you're in the audience and you have the little white three by five cards and you want to write your questions down on those three by five cards, then I will um, get to them. Somebody will be bringing them up to me and we will get to those and be able to answer to them. And if you're online for the online folks, basically, um, if you have questions, you have a chat box right there next to you uh, to the right side, usually of uh, what you're watching and you can type your questions in and we do have somebody monitoring that so that you can ask those questions and then I will be asking the question and uh, relaying the answer at the same time while we are on this. So we're hoping that that's going to encourage participation because once again this is not a Sunday morning where I stand up and give a sermon message and then we all go home and sit down and drink tea and eat chocolate brownies. So, by the way, if any of you have chocolate brownies, never mind. So, we're going to we're going to be trying to 
to create as much interaction as possible. Please understand that myself, Eric, Pastor Jeff, we do not have all the answers. We may be able to go and find them for you. So if you have a question tonight that I really don't know the answer to, then I will probably say to you, you know what? I'm going to make sure I answer this next week. So come back the next week and we'll make sure that we're able to answer your questions. So please understand that at no time do I presume to know this book fully. Um, you heard Pastor Eric um, iterate during the sermon last week that in 2008 and 9, I found myself in a very precarious situation where um, a lot of people lost their jobs. And the news kept saying that it was 144,000 people who lost their jobs. Well, immediately that kicked all of the church going people into, oh my gosh, we're in the last times. Knowing that I had was in the middle of going to getting my master's degree, people understood that I had written some papers about the book of Revelation. Some of the, the uh, myths concerning it was basically the, the title of that. But they had asked me to start a class there. What happened was I wasn't expecting it, but we went from a small church area to a medium church area to a large church. And eventually I had almost 2,000 people in that class and it was a little bit bigger than I cared for it to be but God has a sense of humor because he didn't let me get scared about it because of the fact that he said guess what Bill just go teach these couple of people this yeah and then there you go so evidently my math and God's math they're two different things so we're going to talk about that in a little bit now first thing we want to do I hope that you all were able if you didn't bring them with you we have sermon notes from last Sunday back there on the tables um, hopefully online I think that Mark Strachan made sure that online uh, notes all were sent out so that you could if you're online watching you can print those up and look at it but we're going to talk a little bit I'm just in a going to do a quick recap of um, the last week's sermon. Eric did such a great job of introducing us to this book. It's a very interesting um, introduction simply because of the fact that we have preconceived notions, which just brought up another point that I almost forgot. It's a good thing Mike's here to remind me. Here's the deal. I would ask that during this study, as far as Pastor Eric and Jeff and myself, we would all ask that during this study, could we ask you to not or to not hold on to your preconceived notions and thoughts about this book? That is very important as you start this study. Because if you can come to this with, an, with hands open, hearts open, minds open, please understand the, the things that we're going to present to you, both on Sundays and on Wednesday nights, are basically through a lot of research, through a lot of time in prayer, but understand there's thousands of books written on this subject. So, and it's all available to anybody who wants to take the time to do it. Granted, some of us went to um, seminary to be able to, to learn the biblical languages so that we're able to understand some of the background, and I'll be sharing some of that with you. But at the same time, I would ask that you don't come, um, that you not come with a preconceived idea that you already know Revelation, that you already know what this book is about, or that you're even thinking that it's more about the future than it was an unveiling or an opening of what was going on at the time it was written. So I would ask you to do that. And then 
Before we get going too far into it, I would ask first that you allow me to open us up in a word of prayer because this study is we all will need to be covered in it. So let's pray together. Father God, we just ask this day as we open ourselves up to you, we open our hearts, our minds, we open everything that we are, Lord, to hear your words. We know that this book can be scary at times. This book can be misunderstood. But Father, I would ask for your wisdom for me, for Pastor Eric, for Pastor Jeff, as, as we seek to just unveil this apocalypse and this revelation that you have given to us in your word. May we hear your voice and, and listen to the Holy Spirit as we open this up to our minds. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. So one of the things that we want to talk about is, is when it was written, why, and all of that good stuff. So I'm going to be quick about this because I know Eric did it last Sunday. But it was written to encourage a group of people. Remember, John, when he's writing, he would not go in and burn the incense for the emperor and say, you know, emperor is Lord. He would not go in and go into that. And so because he would not say Caesar is Lord, they finally found a way to put him away. They knew better than to kill him because they had previously killed other apostles of Jesus. And when they did, it caused many uproars. So several of the, the uh, Sanhedrin, several of the, um, it was not just the Jewish Sanhedrin, but it was also the Roman um, colonial government said, you know, if we kill him another one, we may not be able to stop what's going to happen. So I know. Let's let people forget about him. So they sent him across the, the sea to a place called, an island called Patmos. It was a penal colony. It was a stone quarry, and all he was supposed to do was stand there all day and beat on rocks. And that's all he was supposed to do, and people were supposed to forget about him. But John has a stubborn streak in him, much like several pastors that we all know and love that we won't mention. But we know this, that what he did from that island was very impactful because we got the Gospel of John. We have three letters, and we also have the revelation of Jesus Christ that was given to him there. Now, what they could not do was they tried very hard to stop John. They did try to kill him once. They actually boiled him in oil, and he did not die. And he himself, in one of his letters that, that's in a, in a comment by a, a theologian, an old second century person named Clement, he said, yeah, it began to give Peter the bigger head of walking on water or John the bigger head for not dying in oil. They're not sure which one was getting pretty proud of what they had accomplished under Jesus' name. The fun part of this whole story is this. John didn't give up, no matter how hard it got. And I mean, if I've never been boiled in oil, but I'm thinking that's a little bit painful. So I'm not sure that I would have been as gracious to stand up and say, hey, you know what? That's okay. I'm going to keep going anyways. I mean, I burnt my finger once on an iron and I thought I was going to die. But, you know, that got a little dramatic. And my mother just looked at me and said, here, stick your hand, your, the rest of your hand in the boiling water and you'll forget about your burnt finger. Anyway. I didn't do that for real. I'm just kidding. So that's when we know that John wrote it from. Then what's absolutely um, relevant for us is that when men and women living in the first century, as they were reading these words, they understood them perfectly. We may not at this point in the 20th century because some of that 
literature and some of the language and some of the symbols and things that John uses, they were used to seeing in a lot of Old Testament scriptures. And I'm going to get to some other notes in the, about that in just a minute. So we know that it was written somewhere between 95 and 96. We also know that uh, the Roman Empire for over 30 years had done persecution. Right now, Domitian was the emperor, was not a nice man. He took over from Nero, and he basically felt like it was his job to torture Christians and destroy them as well. John, um, they didn't want to make them the martyr, so they turned it over to him. So, a couple of things that we want to talk about on the backside of your sermon notes there. Apocalypse means unveiling or a revealing. Basically, it, it refers to just simply opening up something that is misunderstood and making it understood. And when it talks about the message that needs to be opened and unveiled and revealed, it is that God wants his people to know. Because everybody says to me, what is the unveiling? Well, when we get to the end of this book, you're going to realize the unveiling is this. God wants his people to know that he has not forgot about them. Yes, he sees the persecution. Yes, he sees the trouble. Yes, he sees what's going on. And at no time did God forget about his people. But there's a reason that John had to use this language, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. If grounds the pain, this, this book also, what an apocalypse does is it grounds the pain of the present reality in light of the future. Okay, when we talk about the future reality of the past, and, and I've got some diagrams later on in the next few weeks, you're going to see where I get to compare some of these things going on. But, but the amazing part about it is this. Whenever you have an unveiling of something, those that don't want it to be unveiled or seen will fight against it. So if you want to know why John had to make sure that only the people who were to receive this letter understood it, he had to make sure that those who were going to read it first, being the Roman censors, the people, the, the cohorts, the governors, and all of those people, when they saw his stuff, they thought it was the ramblings of an old man. And they said simply this, go ahead, send it on to the, to the, to the mainland. Let them take it. It makes no sense. It's a rambling of a lunatic. I mean, he's called all kinds of, when you look at some of the writings of, of a man named um, Eusebius and, and some of the Josephus and these guys, you'll see that the, he was called all kinds of things when he was sending out these, these small little notes. And as he's giving these visions out, people are thinking, the man has lost his mind. The sun has got to his head. You know, he's been over there walking around sunbathing too much and, and drinking too much iced tea. They didn't know. So they were watching this go by, and they were sending it on. Now, when the churches, the seven churches that we're going to talk about, when they got the letters, they knew exactly what God was trying to tell them. See, they understood the language. They had seen it before. There are many books in the Old Testament that John draws from. He brings some of the language from those Old Testament books, and that is almost the key to his people when he got to the pastor at Pergamum and he had sent them the letter the pastor at Pergamum was reading his part and saying oh this could be good this could be not so good when he got to Ephesus when it came to Ephesus and it says you've lost your first love and he starts God starts to reveal how that happened the pastor at Ephesus 
Could have been a young Timothy, could have been a couple other. We don't know at this point because we think that Timothy had already been killed by this point. So we're trying to, to get that nailed down. I've looked in a couple of places, not quite sure. But anyways, here's the thing. When the pastors of the churches who received the letters got this, they knew what was going on. There was no questions for them. Well, how can you talk about horns and dragons? And how can you talk about bowls pouring out wrath? How can you talk about... In all of that language, they understood because they had seen it before. Now, one other thing that the unveiling does, the whole letter of, writ of Revelation is written to bring us to a decision. And we're going to ask this later on tonight for discussion. Who will you choose to worship and who will you choose to follow? See, because... The whole issue of the book of Revelation comes down to one thing. It's the, the fight between the battle between the worship of the emperor and the worship of Jesus Christ. That is the whole issue of the book of Revelation. And when God, excuse me, when God is giving this, these, these messages out to these churches, he's trying to get that commitment from them to say, look, here's what's going to happen, guys. Whether you know it or not, you're in the midst of this. You are in the midst of beginning of this tribulation. You are in the midst of it. And it being in the midst of it, I want you to know that you still have my strength. And it is still with you. And so that we, we know that that. Now. Let's talk about why Revelation can be so confusing. Well, I'm going to read something first because it's almost as if God let the people know that he knew this was going to be confusing. Because if you, if you do have a Bible and you want to turn to Revelation 22, you can. Because here's the first clue that there was going to be a battle against understanding his word. <clears throat> Ooh, excuse me. And I forgot to get a bottle of water in case anybody's back there and can pick me one up. Um, just so you know, in, in chapter 22 of Revelation, let's look at verse 18. Because here's the amazing part of what God was doing. When God was setting this up, he knew there was going to be some controversy. So he gave us this verse in the last chapter of the book, the 18th verse. It says this. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. God is already letting them know. There's going to be people who are going to argue with you about it, who are going to stand up against you, who are going to try to discourage you from doing this. He's letting them know right away. Thank you, Randy. He's letting them know immediately that this is what's going to happen. That the fight's going to start. You start bringing this up, you're going to face some opposition. And we have, um, you know, that there has been opposition. Now, granted, the opposition we feel in America in the 21st century is nothing compared to the opposition and the persecution that they were feeling um, in this church at this time. So the people of the day are realizing that the, the empowerment is, is almost within them as long as they realize the emperor is not the all great and powerful. And Eric did a great job of talking about the Wizard of Oz and how Toto pulled back the curtain and you saw that. And so please understand when we start reading this stuff and it starts, images start to come into your mind about 
um, comparing, trying to compare events of today and looking ahead, please know that that's not what this is about, okay? All of the events in apocalypses are not linear. Point A, then point B, then point C, then point D. Or the first day of it, and then the second day, and then the third day. John didn't get it. It's called cyclical. In other words, it came in cycles. So what happens is when in a cyclical um, apocalypse, you're going to find out that I saw this, and I'm telling you this. Oh, first I heard this, now I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to write this down. I'm gonna, that's what John was told. John says, write down everything you hear and see, and which is what he did. Now, at no point in time anywhere do we find that it is a history of events that are all chronological in time. It is not. Please understand, there is no part of Revelation that is chronological. This is cyclical. That means it will, it comes in points and, and goes back and forth. So we get to the point of understanding how we can, we can relate to this better by understanding some of those things. So you understand that. So now, one of the biggest deals of learning about acceptance into the New Testament canon. This is, this is the canon, okay? To understand the New Testament portion of it, in the second century, there was much discussion about whether or not it should even be a part of God's word. There was three, um, Eusebius talks about the fact that there were three, there was three categories as, as they were looking at how they were going to put the Holy Bible together, okay? Then called the canon. There was three. There was the books that were accepted, the Gospels, obviously, right? Some of the letters of Peter and Paul, they were obviously, they were true and stuff, and they knew that. Then there was the rejected books that there was a lot of those, that books that people said, oh, this belongs in the Holy Bible, and they would write books, and they were gave The one book that was, <laughs> one book that was rejected said that the amazing part about Jesus when he was a little boy playing in the sandbox with the other kids is they would all be making their animals out of sand and the animals would sit there and then when Jesus made the little doves out of sand it flew away. See we didn't we don't know that that's really true but that's in some of those writings and so that, those kind of books that could not be corroborated tested proven to be true did not get into this book and that's one of the things. Then you have the, the accepted, the rejected, and then you have those that are questioned. You have the books that are the book of Hebrews. To this day, everybody still is trying to find out who wrote it. There are people who have opinions on it, but to, to be honest with you, at this point in time, when we get to stand before the king and he lets me in, when that happens, not if people just don't, when it happens and I get to go in the gate, it's going to be, okay, can I just ask you a question? Who wrote the book of Hebrews? I need to know. So, and it's that kind of thing. But there is only one book in all of the Bible that is in all three categories the book of revelation it was an accepted book by many it was a rejected book by many and it was questioned amazing how this is the only book of the holy canon that was questioned accepted and rejected all the time in the second century and eusebius and the boys are all trying to figure out okay should we put it in should we not put it in should we put it in should we not put it in god wins please understand whenever debates and things start god wins 
The book is in there because God wanted it to be in there. Because he knew that there was going to be a group of people in 2022 who were feeling like, wow, we're in, this is getting harder and harder. And we need to understand how God feels about what we're going through. We're going to find that out in the next coming months. So I'm hoping that you'll get to stay with me and, and stick around and be here with me. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that. Um, that's in this. Now, so in case you're wondering, you were given some, some Wednesday night study notes, some reference notes that look like this, and it'll say 1A, and then on the back side says 1B. I'm going to start with 1A is where I'm at right now. So for everybody who's watching and um, online, and if there's any questions that come up, please either write them on the white 3x5 cards, bring them up, and if you, somebody sees one, then... Because I'm going to keep going. I have a lot of information to give you. And Eric says, I can't keep you here until next Thursday. So we have to make sure that you're able to understand and be able to ask questions at the same time. So if there are points I'm going through, seems like I'm flying through them. I might be. I'm excited to be here. I got, have news for you. This is what makes my inner smile with God. It's when I get to sit down and talk about his word. So if I begin to get too fast and too excited, then somebody's going to have to. I, at one point, I told somebody, I said, somebody just come up and throw some water on me. But I don't dare do that in this group. <laughs> There's too many. Mikey, put the bottle down. Yes, yeah, I knew. So I'm just saying we, we get to the point where that we have to love to study his word. We have a desire to know it. But we have a desire to know the truth. Not come with misconceptions, not believe everything we hear. Please understand this, in this church, and I know this for a fact, Pastor Eric, Pastor Jeff, and myself, when we share things from God's word with you, we do not expect you at any point in time just to believe it without being able to say, you know, is that true? Let me go see. Because we want you to know that we, are, we realize how fallible we are, or I do anyways. If there is something that comes up and you say, you know what, I'll come back the next week and say, you know what, somebody else just found out this, and I'll bring it back to you. Okay? So please understand that. So, now, let's look at number three on that, that outline real quick. It says literary styles in Revelation. I'm going to bring up a couple of things during this. These are reference notes that you're going to be able to see. This was, this Revelation is a letter, and it was written for a specific occasion. And in that little slot right there, church under persecution. That's the occasion. The church was under persecution. You can get real specific and say the government was being a pain. They were trying to thwart them. The devil was after them. You could give all you want. But what it comes down to is that the church in all of these cities was beginning to grow and make a difference. The enemy could not have that. He fought against it with tooth and nail, and he fought against it with everything and everybody he had. So that's what he, what he made sure of. It was written for us, but it was not written to us. The reason that I put this in here is I want you to understand something. For every book, every letter, every book, every gospel that's in the canon, it, that's in the Holy Bible, they were all written thousands of years ago. Yes, we know. 84 authors, we know. We know how many years it took to write all of that good stuff. But here's the thing. It was not written to us, but it was written for us. 
because no other book in the history of mankind has been able to stay, to last through, to go through some of the, not just the scrutiny, but just through the tales of time that it has. And in 1947, when they found those Dead Sea Scrolls under those caves that were buried under the water for all those years and hidden behind dusty mountains and stuff and people found them, in 47 when they found them and then by the time 52 and 53 came out and they started realizing what they had, they realized then that God preserved his word for one singular purpose, to encourage his creation, to encourage his image bearers to say, Please understand, this is how it is. This is what I did with my son for you. I want you to know, and I want you to go and tell other people. That's our job. The reason that we're doing what we do is so that you have a way to be able to go and say, please understand and know, I know God cares because I know and understand a book like this. So that's where we're going to go with this, okay? So remember, the letter may not have written to us, but it was written for us, okay? So let's look at Revelation then as a prophecy down there on number B in your outline. Circle this, underline it, do what you need to do. Biblical prophecy is more about seeing behind the present than seeing into the future. I would love to tell you that I came up with that slogan, but I did not. <clears throat> a man who was much wiser than me many, many years ago who worked with a young evangelist named Billy Graham. He is the one that told him, Billy, please understand, biblical prophecy is more important than you know. And in fact, it's about seeing behind the present than seeing into the future. I'm going to talk more about this next week when I get into the apocalypse and understanding how they work. But, but the big deal for us to understand right now is that the preconceived notion that this whole book is about nothing but looking into the future and trying to understand when Jesus is going to come back for his second coming. That is not it. It was not written for that purpose. Please understand that. So if that's up in here locked away, please unlock that door, take it, crumple up, and throw it away with the stuff that goes into the Houston, Texas little thing, and you'll be done with it. Okay. Sorry, that slipped. Was that my outside voice? I keep... Sorry, I won't do that again. Okay. So let's... <laughs> let's, let's talk about uh, Revelation as apocalypse. Um, for instance, right there under number C, after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open, heaven. And the voice I heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. You see, when we start understanding apocalypses, we're going to understand that that is actually a literary genre. In other words, that is literature, that is a style of literature. That's a fancy way of saying literary genre, just a style of literature, okay? So, and then, so apocalypses have many purposes. And a lot of times they were sent out as coded messages to groups of people because they didn't want those who would have caused those people harm or try to destroy the person sending it. They would send out these messages to try to say, hey, here this is. And for those that didn't understand it and it made no sense, they threw it away and got rid of it. But for those people who then found out and received the letters at the end or the apocalypse at the end just went there and went, oh, okay, I see. That's where we're supposed to be at such a time as this. You see, so that, that's the way that it happens. Okay, so number B there. Let's talk about apocalyptic structures, okay? Um, it's cyclical versus linear. I talked about that. It comes in cycles. It doesn't necessarily mean it's chronological. It does not follow a linear scheme 
of development that unfolds to a logical progression. Cyclical means same events described differently from different perspectives. That's basically where you're going to be going all the way through this study. The next 21 chapters that we go through, or 22 total, but all the chapters we go through, are you're going to be hearing a lot of apocalyptic, cyclical language that's going to go back, and then we're going to go, okay, this chapter says this. Let's go back to this other chapter because there's many places. We go from chapter 17 to chapter 5, from chapter 5 then to chapter 19, then from 19 to 13. And so there's many places where John uses language from Daniel, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, and, and I'm going to talk about all those in just a minute as well. But please know that in all of the language, when he gets to the apocalyptic literature, he's going to be telling you things that the people of that day would understood. So now how do we, if we get a coded message, what's the key to understanding a coded message? You have to know the code, Right? So remember when people would, uh, we always thought we were slick in junior high school. And we made up alphabets. We would say the alphabet, and then we'd give them a number. Then we'd give them a, you know, a symbol or something tried to be really cool, right? And so we would then pass these notes, and the teachers would get in and go, oh, yeah, that's nothing, right? No, except for here's the problem. When you do history teachers or language teachers and you do that, they look at you and say, Bill, who has the code? And I say, to which code are you referring, sir? And everybody goes, you know, the one you wrote for all of us. You know, my friends just threw me right under the bus. It never worked. Yeah, it was amazing. But we have to understand that when you're going to understand apocalyptic cyclical literature and understand the schemes, the pictures, the numbers, all of that stuff, you have to know the code. So that's what we're going to work on here together. Okay, so then let's look down at E, um, symbolic language. Imagery is used from familiar cultural images of current events to convey communicable truths. And I want to read you something. Oh, I don't have it out here. I'll read it next week. Um, there's a lot of times when we have people who have tried to bring out um, stories of current events in different ways. Um, you'll see headlines in Time in all kinds of magazines that will say, oh, are ghosts real? Oh, here's somebody who's really seen the ghosts, okay? Well, if ghosts are transparent, how do you see them? I don't anyway, so people would sit there and try to write all of these stories and try to do things to tell you, oh, I have seen the Lord and I know what he wants me to do. He wants me to come and own your house and he wants you to buy me a new Lamborghini. Really? When God tells me that message, I will relay it to you and I'll let you know when you can come pick up your keys. So you see, understand that because somebody will walk up to us and say, I have all the answers, measure it to this book. All right? Measure it to this book. I'm going to break some of your heart right now. And I know how many of you may have loved the old Left Behind series. It was an amazing thing. Or Frank Peretti and his Present Darkness series. Okay? has nothing to do with the book of Revelation. That's as nice as I can say it. Because it's not true. It's not the way it's going to happen. There's nobody going to fly away with their clothes hanging there so there's a bunch of naked bodies flying through the air. That's not going to happen just so you understand and know that that part's not in here. That was for movies and they made a lot of money doing it. So please understand that. 
So symbolic language will be the key. Now, if you look down at your, at your notes there and you see number F, it has other biblical Bible examples of apocalyptic literature. And notice you're going to recognize all of those names because those are from the Bible. Daniel, the book of Daniel. Okay, most of it has, especially from chapters 13 to the end, you will see a lot of things. He had bronze feet, and he had two different colored bronze, and they, he describes all of these things that he saw. And the amazing part that you're going to see is that we'll get along here down into the middle of Revelation. When we get to chapters 6 through 18, you're going to look at that and go, wait a minute, somebody already said that. And I'm going to go, very good. Because that's what we want you to understand. It's use for language and understanding for you to hear them. You have Daniel. You have Isaiah 24 to 27. I have a very good friend, Dr. John Feckes, who spent most of his life. Um, he's going to have a published manuscript called Use of Isaiah in the Book of Revelation. Interesting book written by a Manchester graduate of, with PhD. And their words are like this long. And I had to call Johnny once and say, dude, can you just tell me in English what that meant? And when he tells me, I said, so why didn't you just write that? Why did you have to make, you know, but anyway. So please understand, you got Ezekiel 38 and 39. Some more apocalyptic language. Zechariah 9 through 14. And then even in the New Testament, chapter 24 even has um, some apocalyptic literature. So understand there's lots of examples to help you to understand and know what it means the use of apocalyptic literature in the Bible. Wow, it's already quarter eight. I am trying to get this done. Let's look at the second page. Um, if you'll flip your page over there to, to B, because we're going to talk about some of the apocalyptic symbols, because I wanted you to understand this from the get-go. This is what's important when you're going to be looking and reading through the book of Revelation. The use of colors. Um, the use of color does not relate to the color as it does to quality or condition. Example, <clears throat> when, so you, when you read something in it, his, his robe was as white and was as pearl and was as... So when you think of a white color, you have to think what? Purity. Everybody does, right? So when you read that some that the red is flowing, go ahead, tell me. What's red? Blood. Very good. The blood is red. And so when we get to the color of the sky, the color of the ocean, but then he begins to use words like alabaster, using words like sapphire, using words that you all of a sudden start thinking. And then all of us think, oh, sapphire means it's worth a lot of money. Not necessarily. Because believe it or not, sapphire has a color. Rubies have a color. Okay? So we have to use that. So then let's look at B, animals. The use of animal imagery is very common and is usually, represent, um, usually to represent character qualities, either good or bad. And two ex great examples of it are the lamb and the beast. Obviously, the lamb represents... Come on. Thank you. I'm glad somebody realizes who the Lamb of God is. That's good news. It is Jesus himself. That is correct. And then when it talks about the beast. But boy, you came up with that one real quick. So my point is just this. You're going to see these animals. The Lion of Judah, right? Powerful, giant. Again, Jesus, right? And then I saw these, these winged creatures coming at me that had horns and claws. And they picked me up and they gathered... All of these animals will have more about their character qualities. Please understand that. 
than it does the animal itself, okay? That, that's how that works with the animals. Numbers. <laughs> Numbers rarely express a literal time frame mathematical equation. There's no, it's not literal. Usually designate a relative or general duration or quality associated with that number. So please understand and know that you may hear the number 144,000. You may hear 12. You may hear 24. You may hear 7. You may hear 5. You may hear 666. In all of those numbers, there's something that it represents. It's more about the alphabetical e equation that was attached to the number. Each number has, and in about the third or fourth week, I'll be getting into, and I've, one of those, the weeks are running together in my head. So, but there will be a week when I could talk about the numbers, and we're going to talk about the 144,000, and we're even going to talk about the number 666 and who it is. So please understand and know there is a way to understand and hear that. So if you guys don't even ask that question tonight, because if you want to know, you got to come later on to see it. Yeah, good try. So. Let's talk about the traditional symbols. And these are important. And all during the study, I will bring, be bringing up the, the traditional symbols because there's a lot of them in here. For those of you that have even read any portions of this book, please understand how many symbols there are. We're going to talk about horns. Everybody who comes up, horses have horns, eagles have horns, creatures have horns, everybody has horns. Horns to them equal power. That's what the horns stand for. So when you th you're thinking that these horns are coming to attack me and everything else, they are a sign of great power. Because at one point, if the lamb comes out with a horn in the middle of his forehead, why is that? What is he going to do? And then you hear the message of the lamb with the horn. You're thinking to yourself, I'm glad I'm not on the other end of that message. Because there's points and times when, yeah, there's messages we don't, you know, want to hear that from God. Let's talk about the stars. He talks about the seven stars. I saw four stars in his hand. I have saw three stars in his hand. The stars represent all of the angels. There are angels everywhere. Now, there's also a place where the stars represent, represent the seven angels of the seven churches. See, there's, there's, those, there's that as well as, so you're going to have to understand and know how all of that correlates together. So we want you to make sure you understand that. You're going to hear creatures talking about their eyes. You're going to talk about one who is, is pure white and whose eyes were like lightning. His eyes were as bright as the sun. Eyes show knowledge. So how does he equate that? Let's think about it. That means he sees everything. How many of you truly believed all your life that your parents had eyes in the back of their head? Yeah, see, everybody's going, yeah, my mom always knew what was going on. It wasn't fair. I would start to say I'm going to do something, and she would just look at me and go, just sit down. Don't be stupid. I already know what you're going to do, so I can just put you on restriction now, or you can go get yourself hurt and be an idiot. Don't go back to your room. Right? There are times when, and then I didn't understand that until my children began to grow up. And a couple of them had too many of my traits in them. And for parents, sometimes that's a good thing. And Kathy Wayman and I were talking about how the children have good and bad traits of both parents. Hopefully you would think they would take all the great ones and the good ones on, right? And so when all of a sudden they'll get a look in there and they'll start to do something and the parents will give them this. 
How many of you know the mom look? Did moms have to say anything when you get that look? Or dads? You knew right away. Well, see, in the book of, here it is. When the eyes come at you, when the eyes were, were pointed down at the church, when the eyes were pointed at those who were suffering, when the eyes were pointed at the ones who were locking up the saints and, and killing them, they trembled. It wasn't even about the name of Jesus as much as it was, he can see what I did. So eyes talk about knowledge. Then let's talk about the keys. Who is it that has the keys to the biggest bank vaults in the city? The one with the authority to be able to open that lock. You know? There's, there's keys given to people to be able to open and do things and know things because they're the ones that have the authority to get into places where nobody else should be getting into. Right? Well, here's the amazing part about this. Once I'm going to tell you a story about my little granddaughter. She's nine. She has decided that she wanted to play trumpet because her dad played trumpet and her grandma played trumpet. And so one time during the Thanksgiving holiday, um, our house, um, there are times when Bill starts talking about the Bible and things going on and the kids pick it up. Kids pick up things really quick. If you don't want them to repeat stuff, probably shouldn't say it in front of them, just so you know, because... I didn't even know that she was picking up on this. So I was reading, <laughs> I was reading during the apocalypse while I was studying a few months back. And two months had gone by since I talked about it. And Sophia was at her grandmother's house, who were not necessarily, they don't understand the word of God, and that, you know, they're not, they're not there. So she says, grandma says to her and says, Sophia, I heard you were playing trumpet. And she said, yes, I am. She said, well, that's exciting. She says, what trumpet part do you want to play? And usually everybody says, well, I want to be the first trumpet. But that's not what Sophia said. Because, see, there's this story in here. When it starts, and as I break down the trumpet story, you're going to understand this. The fifth trumpet. When it comes to the playing of the fifth trumpet, it unlocks the gate of Hades and lets out all the bad stuff just before it all has to go back in there and gets locked up. So what does Sophia says when she says, what trumpet do you want to play? I want to be the fifth trumpet and I'm going to lock Satan away. <laughs> Sherry was chewing her food knew what was coming when Sophia said the fifth trumpet. So before Sherry could say, before you understand, her grandfather's been talking about the book of Revelation at home, and she picked it up. Before Sherry could even get that out to say, wait, 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 Sophia just preached right to her grandparents. I know which one trumpet I'm going to be. You see, you got to understand, there's trumpets that are going to make a sound to make an announcement, to make something happen. And all of those keys that are going to be happening and, and put out there and given for authority will be used to unlock the correct thing at the correct moment in time. So let's look at Revelation as a divine drama. And I'm going to try to get done with this. Because here's the thing about Revelation as a divine drama. A friends of, some friends of mine put this together, and it, I thought it was very interesting. See, to have a drama, you need three components. You need the characters, you need a plot, and you need a scene. So now, 
Who can tell me what scene, Revelation, and please say it out loud. What scene are we talking about here for the drama of Revelation? Come on, you, I have said it ten times. The persecution of the church. That's exact right. That's the scene. The scene is that John is stuck on this island. His churches are suffering and he needs them to understand how much God loves them. So that's the scene. The plot. What is the plot? I have to get this message of encouragement. I want them to understand who Jesus is, how powerful he is, and the fact that the emperor is not God. I need them to understand and know this. So what does he have to do? He has a plot of getting this message to these people, but there's one small problem. As he writes these scrolls, him and the two guys that are in there scrolling it with him and helping him, as he writes them, he has to give them to somebody to take to the docks to get to the boats that get across to the mail to the people. There's eight people who are going to read these documents. That's as many as I've found so far in my looking this up. There's eight people who are going to take those things. So as soon as the little minion guy that unlocks the door that, that goes to, to John's little cell and says, okay, give me, give me your, your scrolls, he starts to put out the scrolls. And the first thing he does is he says, okay, so he goes and takes them to his supervisor. His supervisor then reads the scroll, who then rolls it back up, takes it to his supervisor. This happens eight times. So eight, any of those eight guys can please understand Take that thing and throw it in the trash. Any one of them. Because as soon as one of them sees something he does not like, he's going to make sure that that message does not get to the people that says Caesar is not God. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. So in order for that to happen, it's got to get through these eight people. So John has to come up with it. So the plot is, how am I going to get this message of love, encouragement, and strength to a people on the other side of this when other people who are trying to destroy them want to destroy it. That's the plot. All right? So then now let's look at some characters. Because in this divine drama, here's your characters. You've got foes. You've got one team against the other. We obviously have the ones. And these are the descriptions given to this in, in the book of Revelation. You're going to see these names of these foes, okay, as we go through this. The first one, he who sits on the throne. Obviously. Somebody say something out loud so I know you're not asleep. Jesus, thank you very much. So we know that Jesus is him who sits on the throne, the dragon. You're going to hear all about the red dragon and, the, and all of the stuff going on. In chapter 12, when we get to chapter 12, it's a doozy. So that's going to be the, the pivotal point of when everything takes place. And by the way, chapter 12 and that red dragon are, are more important to this whole message than I can even tell you. I'm trying not to give away the stuff here, and it's not easy. Personal agents. Obviously, the one for God is the Lamb. Talks about the Lamb of God. Takes away the sin of the world. John, remember John, stood on the river, and he said, Hey, look, behold, here he comes, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John knew it standing on this earth. And tried to tell people that, and they're going, He only has two legs. How can he be a lamb? They didn't get it. Yeah. Then you have the beast. When he talks about the beast, and he's going to talk about this beast in all kinds of descriptions. And it's going to talk about the beast from Babylon. It's going to talk about the beast and all of the things that they did. So all of that's going to come along. Then you have the earthly followers. And 
<laughs> in more than one book, John refers to those who believe, to everybody who's sitting in this room, as a saint. Now, we already know that Kathy Wayman's a saint because we know who she's married to. So she has to be in order to be able to do that. Just leaving that one alone. So then the other side is those who dwell on the earth who are not saints. Because if you don't know the Son of God as Lord and Savior, you won't be called a saint. But you will be called someone who dwells on the earth. Now, please answer this loudly when I ask somebody, tell me, can those who dwell on the earth become saints at any given time? Yes, please. I would hope that somebody would say that out loud because here's the thing. Because they dwell on this earth, and Eric's going to be talking about this in the next few weeks, but it's about understanding to hate what they do but not hate them. And when I get further down in this book, you're going to hear me talk about a group called the Nicolaitans. Okay, and the, the, the worshipers of Balaam and Beol. You're going to hear me talk about that, especially when I get to the letters to Pergamum and Thyatira. So you've you got to understand and know, these were very bad people, very human people who were doing very bad things. And in that, we had to learn not to hate the people, but to hate what they did. And then there were those who sought ways to get them to understand how to change from being those who dwell on the earth to going across the bridge and being a saint. That's our job, just so you know. That's where we're going, okay? Then we're going to talk about the corporate symbols, the giant symbols of this whole end of this thing. You have the bride of Christ. You have the city of New Jerusalem. You have all of those symbols that when you think about the New Jerusalem, trust me, it's something to, it's more of a splendor and there's a description of it coming up later on that we'll talk about when we get towards the end. And then the other side corporate symbols, you've got the harlot. Sometimes she is called Jezebel. Sometimes it is named Babylon. Babylon is not necessarily the city in Iraq, and I'm just going to leave that there for you, and you guys can figure out, well, like I said, I'm going to be throwing out all kinds of clues during this and make you come back, because if you want to know, you got to come back later. And there are some people that are in my Monday Night Life group here that will tell you he does not cheat, and he makes you find it. So, the last thing on this page, I want you to do this. Always remember, in the end, God wins. Because... The persecution that we are going through, the hard times that we're going through right now, whether the sickness, the whatever is, is coming your way, folks. Those of you watching online, please understand, if you had to stay home because you don't feel well enough to be here, God is there with you too. God is all surrounding all of us. He is with us all the time. He never leaves or forsakes us. That's who he is. And his strength is perfect, and it's in him that you will find peace. It's in him that you're going to find the strength to overcome those illnesses. Don't be afraid to call on his name and tell him the truth. He's heard it before. You're going to find out. He knows the truth. It's not anything new to him for you to say, God, I'm so mad at you right now. Why did you let this happen to me? You're not going to, he's not going to look at you and go, oh, <laughs> Bill, I didn't know you felt that way. He knows, and he still loves us, cares for us, and holds on to us anyways. So I just wanted to make sure that you understood that. Now, 
that's as quick as I can go <laughs> through a lot of information. So if there was something on either one of these two pages that you would like to ask questions now before we, we depart until next week, please let me know. If you think of them later on during the week, you can always go to uh, pastoratlighthouse.com, right? Lighthousecommunity.com, right? And then you can go there and ask the question and say, hey, tell Bill that, that he needs to talk, to let me know about this. I will, not, I will answer the emails as many as I can, but then I will also make sure that the questions are brought up here because trust me, if you're thinking of a question, somebody else watching this, hearing this, being participating in this is going to have the same question. All right, lots of people will all have the same questions about it. So that, that's what I want you to understand and know. Um, let me make sure um, for, just so you know that um, we have the questions um, in-house and online. Real quick, some, a couple of more uh, rules that I just wanted to use. In case that um, you didn't understand, for those of you that are in-house, that are, that are with your life groups here, um, when I finish with the stream comments and the streaming goes off, then you're going to be able to gather in your small groups there and be able to have your prayer times together. I wanted you to make sure you understood this is still a life group type event. If you have a small group here, your life group is here, please know that you can get into smaller groups to do prayers about for each other and do them for um, for the church as a whole, pastors, we covet your prayers. Please understand and know by doing what we're doing with this, we have decided to put lots of big targets on our backs. And so we would ask you to hold us up in prayer and our families because that's the way that the enemy is going to get to us. So we have a long ways to go. We have a lot more chapters of this to do. I hope that I gave you the beginning of at least a little bit of understanding in how this book works. Because the better understanding you have to getting the code, the more enlightened you're going to be by what you're about to read. That's where we're standing with this. God fully intended for us to understand his word, his message, and more than anything, his love to see us in eternity. That's who God is. Do we deserve it? No. I have a friend back there. She and I were just talking that how I say, do we stay out of trouble this week? She says, well, we keep trying. <laughs> Perfect answer. We keep trying to stay out of trouble. My family truly believes that trouble follows me. I don't know where they get that from, but that's beside the point. We have to get to a point where we're not afraid to say, God, help me. So if there's anything that you know that God needs to help you with, if you want to send your prayer requests in to that same pastor at lighthousecommunity.com if you're online. If you're here and you want to write prayer requests down on those white 3 by 5 cards, turn them into myself or Eric. We're both here. You can bring them to us too. Also, the notebooks. Just so you know, I should have talked about this at the beginning. These notebooks here. Eric talked about them. We do have these available in the back. We're just letting you know that they cost us about $5 to do, and if you feel like making a donation for them, great. If you don't have the $5 and still want to take a book with you, please feel free to do so. Because every week, our sermon notes and my Wednesday night notes, you will be able to collect them in here, and you will, at the end of this study, be able to have a lot of good information 
on the book of Revelation that you're going to be able to keep for the future. On the back is a really cool part. There's a really cool map on the area that we're going to be talking about over the next few months. So if you do want to get one of these, please let us know. Um, if you want to take one tonight, there's back there. And Paula... Right there, if you're looking to give her any kind of monies that you want to make for donations for it, just make, give it to Paula, and she'll make sure that we get it. Um, do I have any questions? Did any come up online or anything? Mark, do we have anything up there? Okay. So, yeah, I am. So, so what I want to know is if you have a question, please feel free to raise your hand and shout it out, or you can come up here and say it in the mic, whichever you'd like to do, because I'll repeat the question. Does anybody have one? I'm trying to see. There we go. Now I can see. Okay. Please tell me. I love the fact that you're trying to tell me that I was so explanative that you have absolutely no questions because I fully explained everything perfectly. Yeah, I wasn't born yesterday, team. Good try. So um, as you think of them, if the questions come up, uh-oh. This ain't good. This Hang on, he's going to turn you on. Okay. So this is a question that probably others are having, which is you've talked about it being cyclical. Uh -huh. I know, and you mentioned that a couple of times. I'd love for you to explain, because I understand um, that John doesn't just write about what happens. First this happened, then that, this happened, then this That's happened. Right. He writes, first I saw this, then I saw this, then I saw this. Mm -hmm. But you talk about it being cyclical. What does that mean? Oh, great. Well, actually, that's a great question. So when something is cyclical, that means that it gives you different perspectives at different times. So let's say I wanted to make a point to you about um, one time when I was swimming in a swimming pool and a friend of mine thought he was going to be real funny and he started telling me there was a snake in the pool. I didn't believe him. Well, as it turned out, there was a snake in the pool. Now, we lived in a place called Hawaii where there are water moccasins, and, and they're, very, they're not very friendly. And they can uh, cause you bad things. And so when I saw this, he said, it's got a green head in the tail's way, and it's, oh, oh wait, it's coming. And I, I got really scared and came up out of the water. So when I tell you that story... I can use that in all kinds of different areas and metaphors. I can talk about the snake. I can talk about this. I can talk about that. But I can do that today. That was 1966. Don't tell me how many of you weren't born. Shh. Yeah, never mind. So, but we also, we have events that we say, remember when. Remember when this. Remember that. So when something is cyclical, here's what happens. We have a point that we need to make. And God is saying, for this moment in time, here's my message. Here it is. So he's going to give us a piece of this, a piece of this, and a piece of this at point A. Okay? Then later on, in point C and D, all of a sudden, you're going to see this point back here in C and D. Because now he has taken that same thing to say, hey, this also, and give you examples to the event. It is all for the purpose of giving you the message so that you completely understand it. And on that page, there's a page that I have written down what cyclical means. And I think it's right here. When I talk about it being cyclical, I say, oh, yeah, the same events described differently from different perspectives. 
when we're trying to make a point about something that is very truly hard on us, um, we can use phrases like, I thought I was going to die. You know, my... One of the things that will get you in trouble as a pastor when you talk about your teenage children, just so you know. So if my children are watching, don't watch right now. Because there are times when they would experiment in junior high and high school with dyeing their hair different colors. Well, they would try to decide that they were going to make their hair this color. And when it would come out, they swore they would never be seen in public again. Their entire life was ruined, that it was the end of the universe, and that all things, that was it. They were going to die. Okay, now they gave some very literal descriptions of what was going to happen to them. In cyclical events, we may use phrases, words. John is going to say, at this point I saw this. At this point I saw this. And use language like that. But what he's trying to do is tell you that it's in a cycle of this part of the message. Is this making sense yet? So in other words, I need the church to know I need the church to know that you've lost your first love. You did this and this. That was founded in a place called Satan's throne. And please understand, how did you fight for my name in Satan's throne, and yet you're letting the believers of that another cult Take your first love. He's used the same example a couple of times in different ways. When something is cyclical, that means that you can't read it for right now and say, oh, okay, he's going to go this. This is the path. Point A to point B to point C to point D. That's not necessarily how it's going to end. He's going to use point A and D to show you what B meant. He's going to use C and A to show you something over here. It's cyclical. That means he's going to use different cycles of different events from a different perspective. Now, does that make Did that answer closely? Is that what it is? So in being in, in when events are in that way in the Bible, you can ask and say, hey, Bill, is this a cyclical event? And I can say to you, very good, because yes, that is true. That's exactly what it is. And in fact, if you're in this chapter right now and he's giving you this event, why don't you go back and look at this other chapter and see if that same event's not in there? Because we will be able to do that. The use of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, and all of those books in this book are multiple. Eric, Eric gave a statistic. There's 400 verses and 500 references, right? Is that what you said? There you go. 404 verses over 500 references in the Old Testament. So that means he's telling you that what he knows is that his Jewish, his Christian believers who were raised on understanding the Old Testament and all of the stories in it understand and know the language that he's using. But the Roman guards who knew nothing of the Old Testament, they didn't know any of that. So in order for me to get my coded message of love, compassion, and care to my people on that island, before these eight knuckleheads saw it, I need them to understand. I don't care if these eight guys do. And in fact, if they don't, it's all the better that it will get there faster. And it did. Because at that point in time, they just said, you know what, this is a lunatic talking, forget it. Just give them the... Get the mail out. Get it done. And what they did was they were furthering the gospel by not censoring what they did not know. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what I meant to say. So 
please understand. You know, okay, go ahead. Somebody has, yeah. Mm -hmm. That is correct. She just asked, she said, well, doesn't that give, how did you say it, recurring references? Yes. Yeah. Oh, because it's in cycles, not circles. So let's think of cycles, not circles. That's correct. Correct. That's correct. So she's asking me the question, the difference between being circular and cyclical. So she's, she is, the question is great. Doesn't that just mean that you've got reoccurring references to come up to the same, whether they're on which event they've met you? That is correct. And the reason that there's, it's more of to drive points home. In other words, we need them to know you've lost your first love. Let's get it back. But then we have other groups of people that have to understand, once that trumpet sounds, there's going to be something that happens. There's a day of atonement that's going to happen for everything, but there's also a day of forgiveness. There's a day of grace. There's a day of peace. There's a day of unbelievable celebration. See, all of those things have to get um, conveyed to those people in different ways. By using cyclical language, not circular, by using cyclical language, that made it so that it was even more confusing to those eight Roman faces who were trying to understand his message. However, once it got over there to the mainland and the people could hear it and see it, they knew where he was coming from. So yes, it was reoccurring references to them, but to the Romans who were trying to stop it, they had no clue. That's how it worked. Someone else back there had raised their hand. Okay. That's correct. He who sits on the throne is, is related to the, the, the two judgment seats where Christ himself is sitting. He who sits on the throne refers to God himself and to Jesus at the same time. That is correct. The reason that I give you ultimate foes and personal agents is because he uses different language for those parts in the play. The dragon and the beast are closely related. I love that question. I'm not answering it all the way because I would love for you in about six chapters to be able to walk up to me and say, Bill, now I know the difference between the beast and the dragon. Because you're going to learn that. That was a great question. <laughs> That's exciting. I love to do the tongue twisters and leave you hanging and let you think about it later. That's even better. Any other questions before we... Yes, sir. Ken. Say that again. Lower your mask a little bit. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. I understand. Okay. That would be correct. 
Yeah, that's, you're absolutely right. The movies that I referred to earlier, when they talk about prophecy, it's always been about we're going to prophesy the future, okay? And Ken, this is a great question for next week because next week I'm going to get into the prophetic language and talk about the difference between the futuristic approach and the historical approach to prophecy because there's two different, completely different ideas that are in this book. And the one idea that has been projected, told to us, shown to us throughout history and, and shoved down our throats is not the prophecy that's in here. So, yes, I will be getting to that, but there are two approaches to prophecy, the historical approach and the his futurist approach. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. So then I will explain a lot more of that. So, again, you have to come next week. See, I know how to keep the audience coming back. I'll figure it out. So um, we have to understand and know that we do have a limited time. i got about 13 more minutes here that I can be on the stream. So do we, do we have any more questions? Okay. I'm so glad that all of you are here. Um, please let us know if there's anything we can do during the week. If you think of stuff, go ahead and call Eric. Eric has all the answers, and he'll answer every phone call. So that's good. That's good. That's good. Oh, and yes. And if, you, and, yeah, and if you do not have a Bible, please understand there's, um, there's uh, paperbacks there in front of you and around you, and you take those home. You can keep those. The NIV will be the most used, I think, translation that we'll be going through here. Um, sometimes I'll be reading from the ESV or the NASB, but that's because it's, they're so closely related, and I use different words for different things. Other than that, how are, are you guys Okay. All right, so far we'll get through this first week. Okay, then that's what we're going to do. I'm going to say uh, thank you for watching to the streamers and I'll let you know that, please, if you have any more questions or anything, I want you to go to lighthousecommunity.com, pastor at lighthousecommunity.com, and send us your questions, prayer requests, any of that that you need to know, and then we'll be getting back to you as soon as you can. God bless you all and thank you for watching. Mark, let me know when we're clear. Okay. There's no way to divorce this. Okay, that's all right. So hopefully you won't hear, they won't hear all of this language. So now, the difference between being online and in here. Here's how this is going to work. And I had to figure out how I've rewritten this scenario for this night 20 times trying to figure out how we're going to do this. So now, how many of you have your life group here with you? I mean, I just want to see the... Okay, so you guys are actually in good. You're, you're in your groups. Okay, for those of you who don't have a life group, I'm going to have you go right back in the middle, right behind a couple of rows behind Eric. Now, also...